This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it's 7.06, it's Wednesday, 3rd of January. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run with us. With a slightly beaming Philip C, I slightly wonder. Slightly only. Slightly. And of course, I'm the <laughs> cheerful, chirpy, walk shouting. Not all the time, though, just today. Uh, in half an hour, we're, of course, going to have a take a look at the um, US media sector and what's to be expected for 2024. But let's recap how global markets closed yesterday. Ooh, the first day of trading in the US, not generally good. Although the Dow was up 0.1%, but the S&P 500 down 0.6% and the NASDAQ down 1.6% on the assumption that the rate cuts could take place in the second half as opposed to the first half. Asian markets were also all in the red. The Nikkei was down 0.2%, Hang Seng down 1.5%, Shanghai Composite down 0.4%, Singapore's STI down 0.3% and back home, FBM KLCI also down 0.1%. So for some insights on where international markets are heading, we speak to Carlos Casanova, Senior Economist at UBP. Good morning, Carlos, and firstly, wishing you a happy and of course, a good 2024. Shall we start with just a general outlook in terms of where the economy is heading? And I think we should start with the United States. Is the mantra higher for longer over? Good morning and Happy New Year to you too. Um, in terms of the US, we are actually expecting um, interest rates to remain higher for longer. Um, towards the end of last year, the market was pricing in quite a lot of rate cut actions. Um, and of course, uh, you know, it's likely that the Fed will, will deliver six interest rate cuts in 2024. So naturally, as you know, those expectations get repriced and that first rate cut gets pushed into the second half of the year, we do expect the U.S. Um, um, you know, equities to, to reprice that in a little bit in their, in their valuations. Um, we do think that the economy will remain quite resilient, though. Um, so there is a, a risk that the Fed will do less rather than more. Um, and we also have a strong base effect on inflation. Um, so we do expect to see inflation decline um, more than perhaps um, what current, currently is expected in the market in 2024. Can we just unpack some of the Chinese data coming out? We saw official PMI fell to 49 in December from 49.4 in the previous month. It's, of course, below the 50 mark. On the flip side, we actually saw holiday New Year travel actually reach pre-pandemic levels, right? Can you help us unpack, you know, where do we see the outlook of the Chinese economy then in this year? Yeah, so we're seeing um, a divergence not only uh, between manufacturing and uh, services, um, but also within manufacturing, um, so the sort of tailwind behind services post reopening is starting to fickle. That's normal. I think everyone can can see how you can't have um, revenge consumption of of services and travel uh, for longer than twelve months. And then on the manufacturing front, we are seeing um, that the housing sector is dragging on the sort of main industrial activity indicators. But um, the recovery of external demand on the export front is starting to help a little bit with the Taishin PMI. And we do think that that's going to continue to be a theme. Um, we are seeing South Korea exports. They tend to be a leading indicator for global trade. They've recovered for three consecutive months. So it was not a surprise that the Taishin PMI actually expanded more than expected to 50.8. Um, and I think that's going to be a, a trend as you see a recovery in um, in, the, in the smartphone re replacement cycle and semi global semiconductor cycle. Um, so that's going to help um, to propel 
um, growth for some of the ex Asian export powerhouses. Um, but for China, I think we, we are going to continue to see this divergence also within manufacturing, some sectors doing very well, um, and then some sectors that are perhaps uh, related to infrastructure spending, um, dragging a little bit, at least in the first half of the year, until all of that fiscal stimulus kicks in in the second half of the year. So we are looking at slightly slower growth in China, but hopefully uh, more balanced growth uh, away from just services towards a more balanced profile of, of service consumption, consumption of goods, um, and also a recovery in manufacturing um, uh, beyond just the you know, EVs, which is what we have seen so far this year. Carlos, last year when it came to China, the headline was all about property and the woes that followed. Is this crisis over? Well, I think that uh, we can see light at the end of the tunnel in the sense that we are no longer talking, you know, three red lines. We are no longer no longer talking um, that, uh, about the housing sector as a homogenous uh, in, in China. Um, they are sort of looking at it as a fragmented market, which it is, um, and trying to address um, the systemic issues on, on a localized basis. So what we are seeing is um, in Shanghai and Beijing, you still have very robust demand for houses. Um, and so liberalizing some of the restrictions around uh, the investment in those cities can help to free up some policy room for them to focus on the problem areas, which seem to be the third tier cities. So the smaller cities where they invest a lot, expecting that people would flock in and then they never did. So they have a, a, a vast uh, inventory of unsold units. So what we are going to see is them focusing on issues in those in those areas. So why I say we see the light at the end of the tunnel is because we will see an inflection in some real estate um, activity, for example, on the investment front. We do expect to see an inflection point led by tier one cities. Um, but the you know the, we are not out of the woods yet because as they address issues in the smaller cities, they will have to allow developers that have a lot of exposure to those areas to default in 2024. And so we will see an increase in the default rate up from a very, very artificially low rate over the past two years. And that's going to inevitably affect investor sentiment as well. From China's three red lines policy to the Red Sea now, how do you expect the Red Sea you know, disruptions to impact supply chains and even its impact on inflation? Well, uh, luckily there are some alternatives so that you can reroute the goods um, um, and and so the impact over the long term should be rather negligible. However, um, that entails an increase in cost and, of course, uh, some short-term disruption to orders. So what we could see is um, you know, the, the issues surrounding the Houthis in the Red Sea actually translating into a much slower piece of inflation correction in the first quarter, which, of course, you know, when you sum this up globally, will will have spillovers onto Fed policy um, because we are expecting inflation to come down very quickly in 2024 on the back of that base effect. Um, but again, it, it won't be in March, you know, so you, you might see this uh, becoming a stronger driver of Fed policy in the second half with some of these supply chain disruptions and some of the stronger activity in the U.S. actually keeping inflation and rates higher in the first half. Carlos, what's your view on ASEAN currencies and is the reign of the king dollar truly dead? Mm, we are already starting to see that actually towards the end of the year, that sort of strong US dollar mega theme it, it sort of started to to collapse. 
So we do expect to see a continuation this year. Of course, as soon as the Fed starts to cut interest rates, we will see um, some respite across Asia Pacific. What we are seeing now is um, is a divergence. So you have economies that are doing very well um, with uh, current accounts in that they're exporting quite a lot. Um, that are appreciating against the US dollar. In some cases, the rate differential is, is very positive, so they're still appreciating. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have currencies um, like the Chinese yuan, where the economy you know, is a little bit less stable and they are, still have to deliver policy stimulus. Um, and so you will see a persistence of currency weakness for, for those types of currencies. I don't think we'll see another, you know, um, five ten percent depreciation in 2024. What we could see is some company, some some economies having their currency appreciate significantly this year, while others will remain flattish or range bound. Okay, Carlos. In the minute or so that we have left with you, what are the biggest headwinds global economies face in 2024? Aside from, of course, a persistent Fed fund rate hike, uh, is it geopolitics? Well, one of the themes that we have for 2024 is uh, the return of Donald Trump. Um, that is not to say um, that we absolutely expect that Donald Trump will be elected, but um, it is a, a very difficult year that is packed full of elections, including in Asia. And the U.S. presidential election is, of course, very um, uh, a very important event that can translate into quite a bit of volatility in the market. So I think volatility is going to increase next year. Um, and typically what happens with the U.S. election is the U.S. stock market doesn't come down before or after the election. Um, so even if the Fed cuts, if the economy is doing well and you have this election tailwind, um, we could see a continuation of assets flowing into the into U.S. equities and U.S. denominated asset classes and away from from other emerging markets. So that could be a headwind for, for, for next year. So we do see geopolitical factors with all of the um, hype around the elections globally being, being a major risk for this year. All right. Thank you very much for your time. That was Carlos Casanova, Senior Economist at UBP. So Malaysia will be an oasis of calm in this whole world of global volatility then? You know, this Trump is the new risk <laughs> of 2024, I think. Oh, and like Wait a minute. Is that 2016? What 2016? I mean, a deja vu? Yeah, some people say that this year, the US elections will be a repeat of 2016, less so of 2020. Mm. And of course, with more than half of the world facing some form of elections, volatility is here to stay. I thought 2023 was really volatile. How much more volatile can 2024 <laughs> get? Well, I mean, that's markets for you, right? Uh, but let's turn our attention to some numbers in terms of Tesla's deliveries. They delivered 500,000 EVs for the fourth quarter beating market estimates and its 2023 sales target, it's 11% growth. Haven't you noticed there are a lot more on Malaysian roads? I know, I've seen. I actually saw a Tesla uh, surgical mask as well yesterday <laughs> on my flight back. In any case, even though that was an impressive number, it still fall, falls short of the 526,000 EVs delivered by China's BYD for the same quarter. So they've dethroned Tesla, I think, as the top EV maker. So BYD has now stolen the top EV spot from Tesla. I guess it was eventually going to happen, right? Yeah, scale, right? Um, but, you know, in terms of the street, I think they're starting to get nervous on Tesla because if I look at the coverage, it's really not so positive. Um, there are 23 buys and there are also 23 holes while there are 11 sells. 
Consensus target price for Tesla is two hundred forty-two U.S. dollars and thirty-one cents. The share price is already two hundred forty-eight U.S. dollars and forty-two cents. Actually, down six cents during regular market hours. But I think we should also cover one more. EV stock, and that is Rivian. They do these trucks. Amazon is one of their biggest shareholders, and of course, Amazon uses them to deliver goods. Mm -hmm. Their share price fell 10% after reporting fewer deliveries than the previous period, despite vehicle production actually going up. That's right. As you said, 57,000 vehicles were produced this year, although it exceeded its full-year guidance of 54,000 vehicles. I think this is a similar story from what you see in Tesla, right? You're seeing overall demand weakening, and what Tesla is done is that actually they've applied so many discounts, right, to kind of maintain sales volumes. But the question is that with Tesla, at least they've hit some scale and volume to drive and be able to do that. But is Rivian able to drive that, right, and be able to deliver that kind of margin still with such a subscale operations? But guess what? There's uh, more buys, 18 Mm. buys versus seven holes and just one sell. Rivian's consensus target price, 25 US dollars and 74 cents. Current share price, like you say, was actually down 10% on the back of that negative news. But I see increasingly more reports being negative on the overall EV, EV market, especially in the US, because higher interest rates means and higher many, yeah. loan repayments. And apparently many models are due to have expired tax credit soon, so they won't be able to enjoy that 7,500 US dollar tax credit. So the easy money has been made by electric vehicles. What's next, especially in more mature markets like the United States? Um, next, we'll cover the top stories in newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.